Welcome to Get Out of Wrap. Today we have a resource planning masterclass from the one and only Chris Rainsforth and Phil Anderson of The Forum. I'm sure, like me, you recognize that The Forum are experts at this and they do so much good for our industry. I was really looking forward to this one. So let's get on with the show and thanks for listening. How can you not when you've got Chris and Phil of The Forum on fully branded up for those watching on on YouTube with matching glasses as well, Chris. Yeah, these are my forum glasses. Looking suave and debonair, as are you, Phil. Thank you. I appreciate that, Martin. Now, we're going to be talking about something, and I've got, you know, not putting you under any pressure, but got high expectations, because we're going to be talking about resource planning and specifically the the perception and how... You know, with you guys being experts, you've seen how this has evolved over time and also then looking ahead, but maybe also kind of dispelling some commonly held perceptions that we need to update our, our thinking. And this is something that you're, you're, you're really passionate about, isn't it? Very much so. Yeah, absolutely. It's been all, I suppose it's, it's, it's the thing that drives us, isn't it, Chris? It's probably fair to say, isn't it? Is it? As a shared purpose, we were both there, started on the phones, the pair of us, both done, done, both done the role, done, you know, both sides of the fence in terms of operational roles and in planning as well. And very much so, I think one of the bigger problems is that clash, clash of expectation, clash of opinion. And at, at its worst, it can be quite toxic, but at, at its best, it's it's like the, the best relationship that can really drive forward at an organization. So yes, we, we, we enjoy talking about it. You mentioned something there that did just take me back to... When I was running operational teams and finding myself coming to talk to resource planning, a lot of the time it felt like I was answering for my crimes, you know, where they would just say, look, you're, you're, you're causing us real consternation by, by what you're doing. And once I'd kind of got over that mental hurdle that they, it wasn't that that team were there to stop me doing the things I wanted to do. They needed to under they wanted to understand why I was doing it, the times I was doing it, and how and the implications that that had, because I I didn't necessarily think of the implications because I thought, well, I'm not doing this arbitrarily without any thought. I'm thinking now would be a good time to take my team and do something with them. What's the problem? And hearing from them just kind of what the impact of that was especially when they didn't know i was going to be doing it had a had a positive impact i'd say in that i i gave it more thought and i included them in the conversations and the planning at that point but this this was this was a long time ago when we when we think about the role of of resource planning from your point of view and for the teams that you work with what what do they understand their role to be and how has that changed over the years? So I think first and foremost, how, how the role has evolved and what we're seeing at these sort of leading organizations is that resource planning, and it has various names, operational planning, resource planning, strategic workforce plan, whatever that concept is, they, they, they really are the coordinators of, of resource, of skills, of knowledge, of technology, and other things, or so bringing together the key stakeholder decisions because it's not just operational decisions that get on our nerves. It's HR getting on our nerves, marketing, everyone. You know, at the worst, can all be huge, huge problems. So to be at the heart of that, 
almost being whether it's the voice of reason or the the, mm. the guardians of the data, the guardians of the truth, being able to understand actually this is our purpose, this is our operating model, and this is how much money we've got to deliver that strategy. Therefore, here are the key assumptions that are in our plan. And and again, the the the, the leading teams aren't there to predict what's going to happen, but they're there to make it be prepared for whatever happens because. I think a team leader at the worst looks at the day, looks at the moment, looks at the interval and just thinks this is what's going on without realizing that their decision they make today could impact next Thursday, next Friday, could impact three months down the line. And you can't see that. It's really, really hard to understand those things. Likewise, HR can make decisions. We know what markets would be like, et cetera. And so to be there in those, in those crucial times of being able to hold monthly meetings, talking about what's coming up in the next quarter holding weekly meetings to say, this is what's going to happen in the next month, next week, and having daily meetings, which provide that insight. And, and again, on that point, you mentioned there, Martin, that we've, we've, we've all been there, haven't we, where either I've been on the side of the planet, team leaders have come over, and we have all of this information, which is telling us everything that's wrong. And so it can be so easy to focus on, you didn't do this, why did you do that, that didn't work. Instead of going, we know there's going to be lots of wrong things, but what went well? And, and mm. turning that language around, actually just having that as, as this sort of starting point around how can we improve things? How can we get better? How can we repeat great behaviors instead of this constant, that was wrong, your forecast was wrong, this was out. They're always going to be. But actually, how prepared are we for all of those, those different moments? Chris? Yeah, I think it's that understanding. I think if you think traditionally, especially at an operational level, if you've not got no understanding of planning. So if you're an agent, an advisor that's gone through that kind of, you know, that, that kind of progression into a team leader, right? Pretty much your only interaction with planning function would be a real-time or tactical team in the main, right? In traditionally, that's the only interaction you'd have. Or you'd just get your shifts within whatever platform you're being delivered your shifts. You're being told, this is when I work. So if that's not, that's not managed right in your early career. You're, you can have a negative perception really quickly of my because all you're seeing is this is when they're telling me I've got to do stuff and this is when mm. I'm getting told off for not doing the things that are in the schedule if you're tracking things like adherence, all that type of stuff. So you have this really negative perception of planning early in your career if it's not done correctly, if it's not introduced early in, in your journey. And when you get promoted into a team leader, the, the cost in a lot of cases, it's not included in that kind of induction or mm. upskilling process with team leaders. So you've gone from having a negative perception of planning as an agent. You then go into your team leader role with a negative perception of planning. And then it's really hard to break that cycle. And if the good planning teams and good organizations that are doing it, it's all part of that systematic induction of what you're doing understanding the role that they play, understanding how they can help operationally, understanding the conversations that you can have and getting to that point of going, man, you know, you're up to your point before I'm good, I'd go to my team, I'd do something because it's the right thing for my team or I need to do this. And it's getting to that point of going, having that understanding that going, I need to do this for my team. But if we've got the preparation right, that Phil says, you can make those decisions more seriously going, can I do it now or is it not yet? I need to do mm -hmm. it, it's not yet, it might be in an hour's time, two hours time, might be tomorrow, whatever it is, but once you have that understanding, you can start to make those decisions a bit more seamlessly without impacting those around you. I think you've, you've 
you've made two really great points there, starting with you, Phil, around how if from the outset, just in a practical sense, you start with what went well, then you have more balanced, you know, collective, collaborative conversations as opposed to it being, you know, someone's presented with what went wrong, you kind of get defensive. So if you start with what went well and how do we how do we replicate that? What have we learned from it? And then you talk about hey, are the things that we need to improve? That seems to me far that it's going to be far more effective. And Chris, your point about is it included in, as part of a team leader's initial induction to say this function here in resource planning, it's great if you establish a great relationship with them because once I did as a reactive thing. I made better decisions. I created less problems, like you say, further down the. So I would do something in the moment, think, "Oh yeah, that's helped," not, and then go, "Oh, I've just created a problem that I'm probably going to have to deal with in a week's time that I didn't know I created." That I would go back to resource planning, go, "How's this happened?" And they go, "Well, actually, it was you, further upstream last week." <laughs> and, and it works. It works both sides in the sense that if resource planning get to internally focused on hitting a number. So if they're being led in a way that says we need to hit this service level or we need to hit this or this average speed of answer and they get really fixated on delivering a number, that can have a negative impact operationally. It's about making the right decisions at the right times to go, what is the best course of action today in this moment? You know, to Phil's point, prepare for it. What can we do? You know, the amount of times we talk to people going, oh, you know, we're trying to hit this service level. That service level's gone, right? It, you're not going to recover it. It's not going to be achievable in that day, in that period, wherever you've just, you've lost that. So why upset everybody by trying to do things that put additional pressure on them? So it works both sides. And I think that whole relationship needs to be an evolution over time that says the operation and the planning function should be a cohesive unit. It shouldn't be a them and us. It should never be a them and us. And where bad organizations get that is because they're fixated on the wrong things, the folks on the wrong stuff that has a negative impact one way or the other. You know, you know, to your, to your point, operation company, look after our people, definitely do. I need to do coach, I need to do this, I need to do the other, right? Definitely the right things to focus on, right? But when the folks on them in isolation, you can have an impact down there. And similarly, on the planning side, if they're focusing on one thing in isolation, you can have a negative impact there. So it's just having that clarity across the organization that says, this is what we think is going to happen, or this is what might happen. And these are the different things that might happen when everyone's fixated on one linear kind of outcome, you know, whether it's forecast accuracy or whatever it is, well, when we just focused on one linear outcome, but this is what we need to achieve. That's where it becomes messy. It's about having that range of outcomes. That says, these are the things that could happen during our operating period, whether it's a week, whether it's a day, it doesn't matter, right? But this is. The, the, these are the outcomes that could happen. And if any of these things come to fruition, what do we need to do to make sure we deliver that service for our customers where we can and make sure we don't put too much pressure on our people, which causes that knock-on effect of absence, attrition, and all that stuff. We've got to be really mindful of that. It's got to be a joint, a joint up delivery. That's fascinating. The For the teams that come to you that you can see have that fixation, is there part of what you do then is to help educate the senior leaders around having a more holistic view, because if they're 
that fixation has to come from somebody saying this is the most important thing get this right i think it is tricky martin because unfortunately a real generalized statement that that is difficult because that level typically don't go oh i don't know these things because they've got to that that point in 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 their career that because they know those things in, in in their own mind at the very best so again leading organizations are the ones who are really open to new ideas. Again, we've recently done like a, a benchmarking exercise with one of our members, and they're working so close with their CFO, so the chief financial officer. Never happened before. So they've been doing that over the last 12 months. And it just means they are so aligned now with all of their strategic objectives. So resource planning are helping to influence. Because if you can get that, that metric right 12 months out with your budget that you know can support and deliver that with the right operating model, it makes all of the downstream decisions so much easier because to Cookie's point, you, you now you understand the targets, you understand the, the the diagnostic measures that are sat below it to be able to drive those, those right behaviors. Whereas, yes, absolutely, at, at its worst, you, you've got these teams of people who are team leaders are now understanding it, the resource planning team are understanding it, but there's still blockers there. And it's typically when the budget is done for someone, if a finance team just go, there's your budget. And, and then someone else goes, and here are your targets. And you just go, I can tell you now we're not going to hit. So why are we waiting for the day? So that report to come out with a sea of red in this sort of arbitrary red, amber, green sort of stuff just to go, what happened? And I think that's really important that we, we, we make those decisions much, much earlier. Because again, to, to what Chris was highlighting there is very often people have their own individual sort of idea of what good is. And again, the line we often use is some individuals want to give a 10 out of 10 service, but the budget might only allow for seven out of 10. And, and that's hard to sort of validate to go, that's as far as we can go. We'd love to do more, but we, we can't afford it. That's not in the plan. And if you, we all behaved in that way, actually that's going to have a knock-on effect to other customers. And say so resource planning at their worst, fixate on forecast accuracy and, and service level. When again, actually just see what the what the forecasted uh, service level was, you know, the week, week out. So if you're not going to hit it, try and improve that. And that becomes the new standard. Since when someone says, what was service like today? You can then say, well, it's 5% better than we thought it would be. You know, we never had enough people. That's why we're recruiting 50 people at the moment. So bearing in mind all of those things, these are the measures we've done to support that. All language training that does go get thrown in at the last minute is to say, actually, that's our priority today. Because if we can deliver all that training today, that means we don't have to do it the rest of the week. So again, when someone says, what happened to service level today? So actually our priority wasn't service level, it was delivery of training. And actually we've got 95% of people through. So there's only five, you know, there's only a few more people that need to have the training later on this week, which means we're actually going to protect service level throughout the remainder of, of this week. And, and that that's a, a real sort of mindset change, especially for senior leaders, because unfortunately, Again, CEOs can sometimes fixate, oh, I can't believe someone wasted an hour yesterday to get through to a call. And it's like, well, I can because the minus 30 on staff, the operating model doesn't work. You know, we're behind on recruitment, sickness is high. You know, what else do you need to know for me to tell you the bleeding obvious? We, we sort of paraphrase it when we, when we do speak to some of those people. But, it, you know, it, it is all true that the numbers don't lie. Again, it's not about the numbers saying this is what will happen, but it's about that readiness to say, right, if sickness does to go up here are the things we can do that 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 can counter that or recognize that do you know what we do need to prioritize on on coaching and learning so therefore we're just going to have to take a bit of a hit on service level do you find with some of the teams that come to you the part of what you have to do is like counsel them 
because I imagine do they are there some teams that come to your organization to to gain training and and that kind of thing that feel a bit kind of browbeaten that they're they can't they can't keep everyone happy and that can't be a good place for a team that is is as you say so integral but it often isn't given much kudos 100 percent, and i think we do and you know we, we don't joke about it's not the right not the right phrase but we do say that sometimes the value of being involved with us is just the fact that we we, we are we could become counselors to some of our members mm. so they just want to ring and chat things so where they might be getting frustrated they're trying to implement ideas but that kind of top-down pressure is they aren't getting their ideas where they need to be and they keep getting pushed through because of the, the misaligned thinking. So we do find that sometimes we are we are kind of in that, you know, to say you can do this, small changes, think about what they do, impact, right? So we we do see that. I think the other the other side to it, and to, and to Phil's part a little bit, is is, is about education. And we, sh- we don't struggle. Organisations struggle to get their thoughts across where they want to be. So we try to encompass everything. So from our strategy and leadership kind of networking, you know, to our team leader training in terms of resource. What we try to do is try to kind of push both, push in both directions. If we get these guys to understand it at the operational level, and we can get these guys to understand it at the street level. At some point, they might meet in the middle, but it is about making sure those priorities are the same. And sometimes when you just fixated on just one part of the organization trying to make a change that can be really difficult but if you're a lone voice trying to kind of push some ideas through that can be really tricky and to phil's point you know people get into senior positions because they've got skills and they've got capability and they've demonstrated that and you know, with all the will in the world you know sometimes we don't like to be you know we don't like to admit that we might not know everything you know so how just oh, so we've got to be really mindful how much of this then is both really getting clarity on the role of the resource planning function, but also on expectations? Because if if the expectations and the role are misaligned to start with, you're on a kind of hiding to nothing, aren't you? Absolutely. It all, to be honest, it, it's critical. We, we, we developed one of our frameworks, which is the strategy pyramid. You know, and we do use it a lot. I'm conscious that invariably I talk about it. I am doing now. And it's because you've got to get your purpose sorted. What What is your vision, your values, your brand? Get that sorted and then understand actually what are your strategic objectives. And it's working to those things. And again, invariably that no business or very few businesses will have forecast accuracy up there or schedule fits or, or, or even sort of a conversion rate or even a quality score. They're not at the very, very top of the pyramid. And so what happens is coming back to people having their own little targets or versions of success. They fixate on sort of operational sort of, of, of measures. Some sense, it's a bit like thinking, you know, if you think of, say, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's focusing on that very bottom level. It's trying to keep your house clean and dust all the the house to be spotless so as I can't do anything else. It means that your life will be around just cleaning up. You'll never actually get anything done. And, and again, you've got to get that right. If you can get that bit right and then, then work it down from there about what you can afford to deliver and then how are you going to perform well to deliver that, you'll be in a much better position than, than just having, say, lots of ideas about how you do things, a budget that doesn't fit, you know, the stakeholders not talking, people doing things in isolation, and then just focusing on the day metrics to think, are we actually having a good day? You know, I, I think you know, it, all, it all comes down to that sort of purpose and, and, and alignment. Then you can really understand what your role is. 
Now, for instance, if, if you are a planning team or you work in an organization whereby the budget is very much done to you, your priority for the next 12 months is to sit with finance, whether they like it or not, and start to help them understand what that budget actually means. And in turn, start to influence them. So it starts to go up the chain to say, we will not deliver those, uh, those, those metrics because, and again, it's letting people know, don't just go, don't report every day of a sea of red, say we've not done this. Start letting people know that we're not going to hit those things in two months, in three months, in 12 months. We're not going to hit those strategic objectives because eventually someone will go, go on then, let me know why, why aren't we? And then you can say, well, actually we've got to put more money in to pay for more people. We can change the channels. Yeah, we, we can you know, reduce demands, increase supply, et cetera, but come up with solutions that make people realize, okay, we do either need to change the strategic objectives and our purpose, or we either need to look at how we do things and approach things very, very differently. That in turn, if you get that bit right, it means you can start to really support your team leaders because again, your team leads and planning then are aligned about what needs to be done. Coming back to Chris's point, you can then prioritize. If a team leader does take their team off to do some training and it smashes service level out for the day, at least you can find out the following day, was that the right thing to do? And if you've got that open dialogue, it's not a fault. It's about a team leader going, do you know, I probably did do that at the wrong time. However, at least we've done this now. You know, what, what went well, what didn't go so well. So therefore you can start to drive some learning to improve the, improve the future. That's a really key point. It's uh, what do we learn to make sure we kind of right the wrongs of the past? I think, you know, true, you know, the biggest issue we have is that when the budget cycle or that is, is, is done in isolation, but done based on old metrics and old information. So the amount of times we go to organizations and we sell them, we're budgeting for a service of 90% or, and you go, well, you're never going to hit that. Like, it's not. And we've got a staffing budget of 2 million quid. And you go, well, even just looking at that, I can, I can tell you 50% short, right? It, it's so simple. Well, that's what we've got to do. So it's a thing going, right, so how do we reset an expectation? I, You know, the industry's getting a pillar at the minute in terms of customer experience and wait times and stuff like that. And there's a load of mitigating factors around it, right? There's loads, whether it's absence, whether it's attrition. You know, whether it's just, you know, the cost of living, whatever it is, there's mitigating factors that drive demand in the business. But when we continue to put the pressure on and deliver something that's unachievable, that's, that compounds a problem. So we, we need to look at it and go, the industry's getting pillared. We're not delivering the service that our customers expect. Reset the expectation. If we reset the expectation, both internally and externally, it allows a bit of freedom to really start to understand where our gap is. Because we're trying to deliver something that we're never going to do. It's just going to compound and compound and compound all the issues that we've got. And then in another three months, we'll still be seeing the same headlines. And it's the headlines that what are driving the dissatisfaction. What we need to understand is what's behind that headline and what can we do differently to change the narrative? Because it's the narrative that needs changing. And the only way we can change the narrative is to work smart within the organization. And again, I think so that Chris comes down to this sort of pattern of reporting. I mean, you know, what, yeah, lead organizations at the moment are doing lots around analytics and using Power BI, which is brilliant, using big, bigger sources of data to give us better, greater insight. At worst, though, this is a, this is a team of people that head down, don't understand the purpose, who just create a, a screen full of dashboards. It's like, well, well done. Are we educating the people how to use the dashboard? And again, invariably, it's just lots of red on there. So without realizing these data teams, planning teams are just telling everyone what was wrong every single day. Mm -hmm. 
which as you say, it's not, it's not nice to hear that, is it? Every day, if you woke up, someone said to you, right, you did this wrong yesterday. You did that wrong. You need to do this today. You think, well, hang on a minute here. Like, kind of, what, what did I do? Okay. You know? I went to take my coat off. Yeah, exactly. It, it does become, it becomes a bit like that. Or again, at worst, it becomes that sort of, because you know, someone in the operation likes to see the end of day reports and then send some, something out and then starts to say, actually, as a team leader, I've not replied to that. You go, oh, my God, do they not care about performance? And you start to drive this sort of culture of people having to work 12 hour days and almost fearing, I can't believe we had a bad day yesterday. I want to hear it tomorrow. It's, so it's actually, it is true. We learn from when things go wrong. So how come it doesn't feel like that? And it's actually really to help that. So changing that reporting cadence, I think is really important. But we're in a great place in industry in terms of the amount of data that's available to us. And I think we're like, it, it's like that human nature thing of going, so I've got everything. I need to do something with it. It's like kids at Christmas, isn't it, right? They open all the toys, they play with everything, then like a month later, there'll just be one thing left. They're kind of just like knocking about with everything else is in a, in a cupboard somewhere. It's been like that. As we get data and lots of data, it's because we've got it, we've got to show it, display it, report it. We've got, we don't have to report all the things. We don't. We don't have to share every bit of data with everybody. We don't. We need to focus on the things that matter for us to be able to make positive changes that are going to improve performance, whether that's on an operational level or individual level. We overwhelm people with information and that drives to the wrong decision-making. It doesn't matter that I didn't service level yesterday. It really doesn't, right? It really doesn't matter. And when we fix it, or we mean filter all this all the time. No. Is there any difference to a customer's experience if you're 78% or 82% against an 80% service level? I'd arguably say no, there isn't, right? You probably mm. got ten. You probably got ten percent swing, and probably the experience will probably be all right. We fixate on a number, and that's across all metrics. We fixate on things, and then when we display everything to everybody, it just becomes noise, it becomes noise, mm. and it stops us focused on the things that are actually going to demonstrate what we need to do to make the, the, the changes that we need to make. And that's you know, not saying data is great. Our use of data and our use of pushing data and who gets information, when that information is provided, that's some of the stuff that we need to work on. You see, you could, you could argue if, if there's no, if you can't understand what action to do differently off the back of it, you shouldn't be sending it out. And it's that classic, there's nothing to see here type thing. How many people <laughs> yeah, send out that report every hour on the hour? And then you think, well, if people are in meetings for an hour, they're probably going to miss two of them anyway. So what, what we're telling people, yeah. And actually, as I say, it's a danger people misinterpret this stuff because people aren't trained on how to, how to use data and to link things together and realize what that means to them and realize and understand how that's going to impact end of day, end of week, end of month performance, end of year performance. Um, they're difficult skills. So yeah, if it doesn't drive a, a change or action or it doesn't need to be sent, don't send it. Okay. I hope you're comfy because I start to reminisce here and tell uh, a little story. Here I go. As you're telling these, as you're dropping these truth bombs, you've taken me back to a nightmarish point in my career, actually, that really does demonstrate what you're talking about. I was a head of a, quite a few teams and we'd taken on some new clients. This was in the financial services outsource and performance across the board wasn't great. So the the senior guys, the powers that be, decided that they they wanted a daily morning meeting where I bought and or I sent beforehand 
loads of reports. And then I kind of came into, a, I started calling it like my kangaroo court. I came into this meeting over the phone, but I would come into it and I had loads of notes, but it was practically like the case for the defense. So what it meant was I was in this cycle where I was dreading the meeting. I would have the meeting and pick up more actions, but they weren't act they weren't actions. It was like, what are you doing about this? Why hasn't this improved? How do we get this higher? What do you do about this? And then the rest of my day was spent preparing for the the following day's meeting, where I'd be thinking, right, if I can take them off this focus and get them to focus on this one that's looking slightly better and talk about that to start with and hope that they don't mention some of the other ones. And I wasn't at, it got to a point and it went on for about a month, but it got to a point where born out of frustration, I just said, you're not actually letting me do manage the teams. You're not letting me lead them because all I'm doing is preparing for this meeting all day, every day. And we're just stuck in this weird cycle where you're not happy with the results. You want to know the results in greater detail because they follow sort of rabbit holes down. And all I'm doing is investigating, preparing my defense, coming back here tomorrow morning, and I'm going to say a variation of the same thing. And it was horrible, absolutely horrible. It's, it, 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 that is, and it, it, that behavior is still out there, right? We, we, we focus so much on the past that we actually lose sight of the future. We spend so much time doing post-mortem type activity, which ultimately don't matter. Something like it's happened, right? It's happened. Can we take learning from it? Yes. Do we need to spend hours and hours and hours dissecting something, which actually stops us focused on what we need to do to improve going forward? So it's not, I think, it's that preparation piece, that looking forward, that forward thinking, that understanding of God. What can we do differently? How can we operate differently? How can we communicate differently? Those are the things that are going to drive change. Spending hours and hours pouring all re reports actually tell us nothing. Do you know what I mean? It's like you'd get people, mm. oh, your AHT's 460 seconds. And I'm like, yeah, we target's for, does that 10 second make any bloody difference? So actually what we're trying to do from a customer perspective, or, you know, and it's that fixation on stuff in the past that stops us moving forward. And the more we think about the future, the more we prepare for it, the better we're going to be able to deal with it. And again, part of that, Chris, it just reminds us how many organizations still sort of report one single number. And, and actually, often the sample size isn't big enough, especially earlier on in a month or earlier on in a year. It's not big enough, so there will be variability. We don't talk about ranges. So only average handle time bit. We've got one of our members who found out actually that 10 seconds average handle time was about a million pounds on the cost line. But again, just turning that language into that makes people go, that's why we do need to be mindful of our average handle time. But you should never target people on it because don't get me started on target typology. What type of target is it? Yeah, you know, we've got to be very mindful that there will be random variability in every one of those metrics. So going back to that sort of daily meeting, Martin, that you had, I think I, think I must have been on the same one. Yeah, I, I remember those meetings. You, you sort of look at things and you sort of go, oh, I'm green on this line. And you see, so you fixate on that one bit of good and you go, actually, there's probably going to be that sort of swing of variability day on day. 
So actually, how are we learning about this? So again, techniques like standard deviation ranges, interquartile ranges, all these things are there for the insight teams, the planning teams to understand. And then you start to help educate team leaders to say, actually, this is your team. These are your outliers. These are the quartile. This is where your team are. You can get more people all improving in this direction at a very individual level. The aggregation of that then will mean we get this performance change. And again, that would be, again, looking back, that's exactly what you want to be saying in those daily meetings, isn't it? When someone's going, what, what happened yesterday? Well, actually what happened yesterday is that we trained people on these. We started to coach people on these things. We've got to get these different improvements across all of these people. And then the, the outcome will start to see these metrics changing over the next week to month to, to six months time. And realizing that you're trying to shape the future. As you say, to Chris's point, you're not just looking back post-mortem, trying to look for trends or patterns in data. And you can always find them. If not, just use Excel and make them up. You know what I mean? We've, we've probably been <laughs> at some point. It's about sort of thinking, how are we actually going to improve so that we can be better prepared for the future? We've got those ideas. And again, that's that's what we're seeing. So again, the leading planning teams that are automating a lot of this, even down to the real-time decisions, using those great real-time automation tools, making decisions because the rules are there, the playbook's there. When this happens, these are the actions, the next best action. And then using that data to really drive understanding so that your CFOs, whatever, aren't asking bad questions because that's often the root cause of this, isn't it? People ask a bad question, you're going to get a bad answer. They get the art of a team leader, operational manager, resource planner is to not get drawn into that. When you get asked that bad question, just say, can I double check what it is you're looking for? Okay. Well, we need to look at these things because again, it won't be a single metric. It won't be a single number. It will often be a sort of suite of diagnostics, which in turn give you the, the, the actual, the sum and then a direction, which in turn will give you the learning and the, and the behavior like where you need to go. And, and, and because we, you know, when we target things, because a lot of metrics are so closely aligned. So if one happens, and there'll be a knock-on effect elsewhere down, down. That, that creates a lot of dissatisfaction within the operation. Uh, and it's like, but everything's so closely aligned. So for example, if, you know, if you're looking at something like service and the service levels dropping or can invariably mean adherence will drop because people are getting stressed, right? And that invariably mean that your attendance and absence kind of increases. So all these things have a knock-on effect. So you can kind of look at it and go, what do we need to do? And it's like, don't fix it. Oh, well, adherence has been shocking today. Well, adherence has been shocking because service level has been shot. And we told you service level is going to be rubbish. And we're understaffed and we know that. So back to Phil's original point right at the beginning when we started talking, it's kind of good. What other things can we influence to make sure mm -hmm. these things and make those decisions there? Like I say, we know this week's going to be a bad week. We just know it. Mm -hmm. we, we know it. You know, it's just... Why argue about it after the event? It's just, it becomes a pointless waste of time for everybody. It just, even that mention there, Chris, it's that, you know, coming back to a single digit, some people will look at adherence and adherence is nothing without performance. You know, so you've got to look at those two together. Why was people go, well, we've got to squeeze shrinkage. Why? Okay. You know, high shrinkage might be the best thing for you. Low shrinkage could be the worst thing. We often get asked questions like, oh, what sickness at the moment across the industry? And, and it's like, Think about that as a question, okay? What are you wanting to find out is how sick people are in other organizations. And what's it going to tell you without understanding the, the policy that sits behind it, how it's managed, 
and it's how it's linked to attrition because you could have really, really low sickness, but really high attrition because people are not there long enough to actually have bad time off sick. They're just leaving. So the cost is massive. But those bad questions lead to really bad answers because then people start going, oh, well, yeah, sickness has gone up since COVID. It's now at 8%. It's like, well, is that mean, is that good or not? So I, it, there's so many things around it. It's just, it's something that might be a problem. But just because it's you've got the data doesn't mean you have to fixate on it in isolation. It's, it is that difficult. And we see it, don't we? We see those types of generic questions being asked across different platforms. You think, well, what are you learning from? Matt, you know, there was one not long ago, you all the staff don't understand. What does it matter? Like, like, and what are you going to learn by asking that question? And, and, and why you understand? Why? It, it just, just, yeah, yeah, I am. You know, if, if Phil asked me that question, I'd go, the forum's understaffed. So I'm busy every day, right? So we could sit there and go, we're understaffed. But, but does it, do you know what I mean? That, just, that example, though, it, it was phenomenal because it had no basis was it are you under or overstaffed right now was the question on like a survey again what against budget against what your current demand is yeah it had there were so many things you're thinking who yes thought that for one second is a good question to ask and what are you going to do with that he's got oh 20 people said we're all understaffed and you know what about that it's phenomenal but bad questions there's so many bad questions out there we need to ask better questions yeah don't get me don't get me started again, Chris. Don't don't go mention those things again. The sickness one was an interesting one. So is it because even just listening to you talk now, I'm thinking the the response is why are you asking that question? What is it that you're because if you're worried about what's everyone else doing, it means that you're uncertain about what you're doing, surely. Yeah. Interesting. And, that, and that's, again, that's the easiest way of thinking with sickness is if, if you think of your shrinkages, typically annual leave comes to about 12%, 12.5% for a year. So, and that's what, five weeks push it bank holidays. So if sickness is 12%, people have off what, for five weeks in a year. Now, yes, there'll be some people, genuine circumstances that uh, they will, will, will leave that time. And it's really important as a business, you support those people. That is, is invaluable in that time of need, you are there. But if someone has got lots and lots of individual bits of absences off for five weeks, they really need to have a good long look at their diet and lifestyle, don't they? Amongst other things. So that's the problem. So you don't need to understand. You don't need to look at any other metric about what others are doing. You need to look at that and go, how are we managing that individual? Now, it might be something that you need to support them with from a lifestyle perspective, or it could be attitude, could be behavior. They could just be in the wrong job. And that, again, is about having that conversation. So again, resource planning, what we can do is look at that sort of insight around those individual peoples and patterns and then speak to the team leader so that the team leader can have a better conversation with that individual, not a, oh, you've had three instances, I'm going to put you on a warning. That doesn't do anything for anyone, does it? It just puts fear in there. And it actually means people come to work when they're ill and that could be having a bigger problem. And again, we've definitely learned that during COVID, even though a lot of people have forgotten, you know, wearing masks, washing hands. It meant that no one got colds for the two years, did they? Now we've gone back mm. around coughing all over each other. Guess what? We've got colds back again, sort of thing. You know, there is a direct link between that. But again, we can help people to support those things. We're going to say, I think, again, finance will say, oh, we've always had 5% in, for sickness in the, in the budgets. Why? You know, if it's not 5%, we don't want to plan for that because we're not mm. going to get, you know, think about what are you doing to help to help support that Sort of, sort, sort of number. Earlier on, you said the phrase leading resource planning teams in the kind of progressive 
good organizations, what are the commonalities that those leading teams share? What are the commonalities? So I, I think you've got, I think mindset is a huge thing. You've got a team of people who are invariably always on a journey. And this is interesting. So we have an awards program and, and he's talked to people, said it'd be great to enter the awards and they'll, and invariably the leading teams are the ones who say, well, we're still working on this. We're still doing this because rightly so they're always onto the next thing. They're always looking for that next bit of improvement. They're aware of they've still got gaps, but they're also, and they're not resting on the laurels because every year your business strategy is going to change. So, you know, there'll have been new objectives in there. Your customers are going to change. Your people are going to change. So, that, so therefore, you, you've got to keep that sort of understanding of where are we going to. That they're, they're the ones who are really leading. At the top level, they have got often great technology, technology that is fully integrated and they're using it well, or they've got the right workarounds and they recognize those workarounds to be able to give them the right sort of out, outcomes in there. And they've got the relationships. They've got the ear of the right stakeholders. We often use the expression, they have a seat at the top table. It's that sort of, they've got the influence at board level. So in other words, bad questions, bad decisions don't come down because they're already on the front foot to say, well, this is what will happen in that situation. And they've definitely got the ear and the influence of operation, HR, marketing, learning and development teams, recruitment teams, et cetera. doesn't make it any easier. There's still some tough challenges in there, but they're, they're always, they say they've got this open dialogue and conversation, which is ultimately leading learning and they're always working on to the next thing. And that's the key thing. The engagement and the relationships is the key thing. That was the team. When people are successful, whether we look at any of our awards, whether it's the innovation awards, whether it's the, the individual or team award, one of the key overarching successes for anybody is that like that level of engagement and communication that we have across the sphere of the organization. They're not isolated, they're not doing things independently. Things aren't being done to them. So, level of collaboration and thought on a level of collaboration and delivery that really sets people apart. And you mentioned earlier that kind of working with a, a organization was working with a CFO from the outset. And that's the kind of seat at the table that you want the resource planning teams to, to have. How, how do you advise people to go? How do they go about that? You, I would imagine referencing you guys must help with that. I, th I think that can absolutely help. I think, I think the reality of it is if you haven't got that ear and you're being done to, that's going to cause a problem. So sort of saying that out loud, I think is a good starting point. I mean, as I said before, planning teams and operational teams, don't be afraid to go and sit, ask if you can sit with another department, another person, and be really inquisitive about sort of classic, can I just see what you do? I'm really intrigued because I want to know if I can help you. Always sort of position it, I think, in that way. You're not going to get many people who will say no. I don't want any help from you. So I think people like to show and, and do that, especially finance, because it's not the most charismatic role in the business, is it? So I think those people love an opportunity to be able to share what they do. But that, I think, is about relationships. So often, again, these are just people-to-people -people relationships, and it's not embedded. So again, what, what we sometimes see is that you'll see a really good organization, and all of a sudden, that head off moves on. It takes two of the team, and those relationships fall apart because it's not embedded. Whereas again, you know, the, the best teams are the ones who just do things. That is their operating rhythm. That is business as usual. These people are linked together. They understand what each other require of one another and how they can work together. I, I do think, yeah, the important thing is, is, is to say, if you're a team leader, spend some time at resource planning. So 
you can talk to them about how, how you can help and, and learn. Ask to go and spend some time with HR, speak with a learning development team, speak to finance. And that, that knowledge and sharing just removes that sort of narrow focus that one team can have. You hear about groupthink, don't you? Finance people will think in a finance way. If they go into a meeting, they'll talk about finances. Resource planning get worse. We'll solely talk about forecast fit. We'll tell you know, schedule fit, forecast accuracy, you know, real-time adherence. It's very easy to focus on those things. And you need that different perspective, that diversity of thoughts. And we'll just have to embed that into an organization, which what I'd say on that, we, we've done an assessment recently for an organization who four years ago were in a mess. And they'll, they'll admit that because we did an assessment with them. They were in an absolute mess. Great people, but the processes were all over the place. The relationships were all over the place. The tech wasn't there. And in the space of a couple of years, about two years, really, they really started to make it in rows because they became aware that they needed to change. They needed to speak to people. And all of a sudden, just done their assessment, they are best in class now for, you know, sort of four of the six key areas of the operational cycle, you know, because they're so aligned to the strategy. They know their operating model. The budget is so aligned. They, they know now if they need to tweak that budget next month because, you know, they've already got sign off to bring in more people if that's required because they understand the sensitivities in that data. And they have these regular meetings where he's talking about learning, understanding, and ultimately in improving. No, no, that's a key thing, Martin. I think now should mention around budget, but we've seen a lot more of the organizations that are starting to get smart around doing the re-budgeting continually. So they're not just setting out the start of financial year and going, there's your operating budget for this year. And you go, oh, I'll try and make everything fit. They're actually reviewing that continually going, do we need a what this month? Can we, can we release some next month? You know, based on demand, based on that kind of future planning and that preparation, that they can actually do things in a smart way around that kind of use of budget rather than kind of being a fixed number that they deliver against. You know, we are seeing more and more people take a more cyclical approach to, to budget planning, which is seeing organisations deliver smarter, really. I must have just on that point, Chris, like it's always a shame, again, speaking a little bit generally here, is it's councils, government sort of, sort of funded they tend to take it right up to the end of the financial year before releasing their budget for the next year. And again, it should just be rolling. Because again, when you say it out loud, you go, why would you let yourself get more? Shouldn't actually not know what your budget is for April. Are you going to get rid of everyone? You know, it's, it's just pathetic. You should have that view, that sort of 12 month view with the understanding to say of sensitivities in there. We, I, I you know, I, I'm quite sure what's going to happen today. I don't know what's going to happen this time next year. So I, that sort of understanding of actually the range of what could happen is, is going to get, you know, a little bit, a little bit sort of wider and broader. And again, it means you should have a view for the next three to seven years almost, because again, key strategic decisions will need to be made now based on that. Do you own the offices you're in? Are you on leases on them? Are you going to introduce a you know, virtual way of working? You know, how are the customer expectations changing? So how's that going to impact our channels for the future? You know, we were talking to one of our members recently, and they're only looking from three years out as part of a project, because actually the skills they think they need in three years time are so different to what they are now. Actually, they mm -hmm. could be making some really poor recruitment decisions right now, because you've yep. people in, people typically stay there for a long period of time. Especially as it could take six months to actually get the people to recruit them, you know, only two years away from these new skills. You know, have you got those people in place now already who are going to move to a very new way of working? So, and that's in, in some environments. Do you, because 
do you think or do you see resource planning teams as well? I'm just thinking about projects like new initiatives. So not just the operational BAU. I worked at a company once where our client sales team were very excited. We got a, a short project where the client needed it delivered quick. It was in response to customer problem on mass. And I can remember sitting with our uh, resource planning manager after the after this was launched and they hadn't been involved and it was a disaster. It, it, it made no money. We got the recruitment, training, script delivery all wrong. And the resource planning, not in a told you so kind of way, but said, I wish I'd been there when this project was, no matter how quick it needed to be spun round, I wish I'd been in the room because I could have said these fundamental things will not work. And then what it meant was everyone hated that project. And when we then, when the client sales team would say, oh, we've won something else, everyone would be like, oh, no, oh, no. it's going to be horrible because they didn't have that seat at the table. And it wasn't the senior table, but it was the project new initiative implementation. I think, I think in the defense of the project teams, they, they often get so stretched, things fall behind, and then they get moved on to another project. Or again, if a business brings in someone on an in, interim period, they then leave the business. So it's a bit unfair with product teams, but, but fortunately, project teams, again, generally speaking, don't have resource planning knowledge. So they might build in their hours, you know, staffing hours or, or something around the amount of hours worked for training. It hasn't got shrinkage in there, hasn't got the understanding of that people are in some days or not in on other days, rotation, all so many factors again that are considered, which means that again, yeah, having that view of resource planning earlier on can just help to put the practicality behind that. It is a big challenge again for a lot of businesses about implementing and operationalizing technology as we, as we would describe it, because yeah, new projects can come in, new technology can come in and it takes a while to be embedded. You know, it takes, there's a learning curve in there, there's individual different le learning curves, there's a customer learning curve in, in there as well. And if you've got multiple projects landing at different times, this will have a huge impact. Again, at, at its worst, this means people go, oh my God, I can't believe there's more change. We haven't, you know, it, it, but actually you do need to keep moving forward. However, it's about the understanding of why we're making a change, what the difference this, this, what this, this, this will make. But yeah, what we say is it's so important for resource planning to be involved in, in that. Again, on that one, again, we have a, a number of examples whereby the senior team brings in a new, a new platform, maybe a new routine platform or something. And part of the deal is you get, oh, you get a new WFM with their new workforce management tool with this. But actually they've not spoken to planning. They speak to planning and planning and go, hang on a minute, this tool doesn't do these things. And actually the consequence of that is enormous because these are, this is people's yes. lives were planned, isn't it? These are the shift patterns. And if he can't do some of those simple things, it has a huge impact. And then that's, and that's on planning. Or again, the views that we have, the data that was available, all changes. And, and again, it, I just don't think some people understand those consequences. Sometimes I that's a huge problem with ourselves because the amount of people who've changed workforce management and the, the planning team just have to fundamentally change and then invariably get rid of flexible way, ways of working, get, get rid of, you know, how annual leave is planned and things like that. It's frightening to be honest. It goes back to the original point. The, the most successful organization are having that collaborative approach to how they deliver it. So there is a plan around that. You know, if you're delivering a technology project, but you've got a new product launch where you need to skill and train everybody, there's so much you can do. 
So you start thinking, what are we prioritizing and when are these things happening and how is that going to impact service? How is it going to impact our people? And just having that open conversation and dialogue, you know, it just, it, it is, that's, that's the biggest, you know, thing that organizations need to be aware of. Planning perspective is to make sure there's a collaborative discussion happening because, you know, to Phil's point, planning team really one of the most important thing. They're the ones that are kind of planning people's lives, right? And if they're not in there and if things do, don't work out, it's them that get the stick for it. Them that get blamed for it because they're planning to a budget that's not achievable. They're planning to a service level that's not achievable. You know, the 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 doing things and having to put different processes in place that are going to invariably alienate people or demotivate people because of the things that are being done to them. So, you know, I think it is it's about collaboration and, and joined up thinking. When when the two of you get to the forum HQ. And you look into your forum crystal ball, what for the, the role of resource planning in the future, what kind of, where do you think that's going? What is what excites you about that? So I, I think that's something that's been positive to come out of COVID is the, is the understanding of how we do need to have a higher regard for our colleagues. And so, and that's it, working patterns is just one of those considerations, but actually how, how we help to develop people and that's ongoing development, not just in terms of getting better at the job, but being a better person, I think that's really, really important. And, and so therefore supporting their, their, their work-life balance, but also their health and their well-being. I think that's one part of it. And as I said at the very, very start, is being that sort of coordinator of so many things. So knowledge was one thing, being, being, being the coordinator of their, of their working patterns, their flexibility and the options around having great time off, making the most of that living well, being the coordinators again of just what their career pathway can be. I think that's, that's where, you know, planning needs to fit in and again, in terms of supporting the operating model and budget. So therefore the routing platforms, the technology that supports all of those things. And also coming up with that data strategy, really supporting that because again, there's some amazing, you know, data scientists out there now, organizations, they're often looking at these huge data sets around the customer. What planning can do, resource planning, is really provide that sort of people, the colleague perspective. This is our behaviors of our people. And here are the sort of more tailored development opportunities for them. And therefore, you're then educating the team leaders and really supporting the team leaders to be able to actually do the right coaching, the right training, the right type of improving. I think that's, that's one part of it. And the other part of it is, is really supporting finance. Um, I read an article actually in the, in the Harvard Business Review just, just this week, and this is around how, how finance teams are, are invariably not helping to, 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 to find talent because they look at things, you know, again, at the worst, just purely about numbers and people being a cost. Again, people are a value. That's, the value. That's your mm. business capability. If you've got a great team of people giving great value, Actually, that should, that should be rewarded and recognized, not looked as, oh, well, that's costing us this much. Well, maybe that's how much it costs us to deliver our strategy. And so again, supporting to give that sort of operational insight and understanding to finance. This is what those numbers actually mean, I think is really, really important. Well, no, I think, to, to Phil's point, I think the, the future resource planning, and what I'd like to see is that it does become the integral part of the operational delivery. has to be, it's not, it's, you know, it's not a them and us. And I think what I'd like to see is that they are, you know, seen as an operational linchpin where, you know, and we, when we see it in good organizations and best in class, that the, the part and parcel of the operational delivery, I think organizations are getting a bit smarter 
but typically, you know, you, the run by you, you have an operational kind of hierarchy that goes that way. You'll have a support hierarchy that goes that way. What I'd like to see, and, and, and where it works well, is where those hierarchies are more merged together. So actually, everyone's, you know, everyone's on the same path, and they're all trying to deliver the same things. There's not an isolated set of metrics over here and an isolated set of metrics up over there. There's actually some thing going on that's driving forward business performance. That's the bit that I see making a bigger shift and, and not being afraid of having those conversations and operational leaders, you know, there's value out of being an operational leader, Matt, and you've been an operational leader, right? In terms of it is about people. It is about making sure we get the best out of people, but let's not push that agenda at the detriment of something else and vice versa. Let's not push a planning or a metric driven behavior at the detriment of something else. You know, the future resource planning is that, you know, it's, it's a coexistence and a, and a coefficiency that drives better performance for, for the people and the employee experience and the customer experience and joined up thing. It's not two separate things that you try to do. Guys, this has been great. Phil and Chris from the, the forum has been enlightening. Thanks so much for coming on and genuinely thanks for everything that you two and the forum do for the for the industry. It is really appreciated. Got more than welcome. Oh, thought of speaking soon, Mr. Teasdale. Definitely. No, thank you very much, Martin. That was Chris Rainsforth and Phil Anderson of the forum. I'm sure you'll agree it was a great episode. These guys really know their stuff, as does everyone else at the forum. They have some really great events coming up. They're launching their best practice program on Tuesday the 31st. Maybe you're listening to this and you're already a member. If you're not, then I would definitely check out becoming a member. It is a great place to learn with some lovely people. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you haven't already, then please do subscribe so you don't miss any more episodes all about our wonderful industry, the contact centre world. Thanks very much for listening.